to the Gay Life Podcast. I'm Anna Capers. And I'm Lucy Lomax. And we are here to bring you stories from women's rugby in Ireland and across the world. Yes, that's right. We're here to get women's rugby over the game line and we'll be bringing you interviews with lots of inspirational women who play the game and we really hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode six of the game line podcast. Today we are speaking to the amazing Lauren Delaney, who is a professional performance nutritionist alongside her international rugby career and uh, she used to be a basketball player as well which was um, all very interesting and we will get on to Lauren's uh, interview in a second but first of all we do have some more rugby news with um, yesterday it was announced that World Rugby is um, unveiling a new three-tiered global competition to supercharge the women's game. It starts in autumn 2023 and will be supported by a 6.4 million pound investment and have its own commercial programme. So this is all with an eye to the 2025 Women's World Cup um, with the teams expanding to 16 teams as opposed to 12 and wanting obviously to up the competition and the standard and and uh, yeah, just to, to make sure that um, the 16 teams that enter have all played a lot of international rugby before the competition. So this is brilliant. I'll just read a, um, a sentence from one of the articles. It just says, um, how will, it's called WXB. So how will WXB work? Regional competitions like the Women's Six Nations must be completed by June each year and will determine qualification for WXB. A competition featuring Australia, Canada, New Zealand and USA will also be established as, an, as a qualification route for the top tier of WXB. So WXV1, the top tier, will involve six teams in two pools playing three matches against teams in the other pool at a standalone tournament in a location that may change yearly. So that's that's cool. Um, then the second tier will be played in the same format and involve two teams from Europe, one from Australia, sorry, one of Australia, Canada, New Zealand and the United States, and one from Oceania as well as one from Asia and Africa. And then, are you still following me, Anna? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. And then the blowing the, my mind. WXB three will consist of two teams from Europe, one from Asia, and the winner of an Africa v South America playoff playing in a round robin format. Yeah, there's going to be promotion and relegation um, after the first cycle. I don't know if I explained that too well, but it does sound very exciting. It gives the elite women's competition global competition structure it gives it an opportunity to get commercial uh, partnerships and investment and broadcasting hopefully if it was on free-to-air television I mean that would be amazing but mm-hmm. what are your initial thoughts Anna? Well re- listening to that there like that's a lot of teams that you know we're very lucky in Europe to have a yearly competition called the Six Nations which you may have heard of and other you know southern hemisphere teams or north american teams that you know have very strong women's sides don't have any yearly competitions like we do in europe we're very lucky you know um so that what you've just listed out there you know all the um oceana africa like bringing in like south american teams like unreal like it's only going to be a good thing and the fact that it's yearly that's a big commitment you know not that it's uh you know every even bi-yearly or you know not like a world cup it's every four years like that's 
Oh, so good. Like such a nice surprise to have like that, you know, appear in our timelines uh, when there's been, you know, just so much like spiral of like disappointing news, like postponement yeah. after postponement after this, that and the other to have a big announcement like that. Um, yeah, incredibly exciting and um, brilliant, brilliant for women's rugby across the board. Definitely. And like you say, I think it's it has come off the back of, you know, this is a week, um, almost a, a week to the day where, you know, we were told that the, the World Cup, you know, 2021 has been postponed to 2022. Um, and I think there was a bit of talk online about how, you know, World Rugby are promoting yeah, tickets for the men's 2023 World Cup without having actually confirmed you know, the postponed dates for, for the women's mm. competition. So um, I think that it's now been sort of said that the uh, competition is expected to be played in October to November next year, but um, that's not, that's yet to be confirmed. But um, yeah, good news to come out World Rugby and, you know, £6.4 million into that tournament alone is fantastic. So um, bring on 2023. Definitely. But if that's yearly and they're going to have to support a lot of a lot of teams getting to those different tournaments. So obviously it's going to take place in three different tournaments or sorry, three different countries for the first, second and third tier of that. Is, is, is that how, how I understood it is that it will be in a host country or will it be. Sorry, when I say host country, I mean a host country from that pool itself. So, you know. Yeah, if you're if you're in a certain pool, you'll have an opportunity to host it. So it'll be on in three different countries. That's going to take a lot of. I I feel like six point four million is a small figure for three international yeah. tournaments to take place yearly for uh, so many teams, and some of those teams won't have a big budget for their women's side. You know. Um, so that's that's it's a it's a massive undertaking and a massive announcement. So, geez, I'm just excited to see it, you know, materialize and and become a thing and and be played. Like I'm I'm envious of the younger girls in the squad that will not only you know get to get to play in the first one of these WXV tournaments, but then uh, subsequently see how it improves year on year and see how these guys host it and then that guy's host it and which one was the best and who which team is going to climb up through the ranks and who's not going to cope and um you know it, it is it's a great thing that they didn't just say the top four teams are going to play no like it's extending it into second and third tiers yeah like Amazing. that's that's and it's it's a massive commitment yeah every game matters so you know you, you would argue that if you're playing an international test match then that game obviously of course matters but it's it's part of a bigger picture because there will be promotion and relegation between the tiers introduced um after the first cycle so it it just makes it that much more competitive and that much more riding on it so i think mm. yeah it sounds inc incredible and it's mentioned here as well that um like domestic women's leagues such as um england's premier 15s for example would have to start later to accommodate the new format the wxv competition will be played in a global window from september to october except in world cup years so yeah so all the domestic competitions will be pushed probably to start i would say end of october november time which will be which will be a bit different what do you think of that well then because if you're a team that doesn't have a lot of international players you're just sitting around waiting for the premiership to start you know doing kind of an elongated preseason. that's not wonderful so they're going to have to um 
we're going to have to think of a way to, to combat that. But, you know, challenges to, to get around are still good challenges. So this week, we are very excited to welcome Lauren Delaney, um, my Irish teammate and Sale Sharks fullbacker back three player. Um, she's great crack. So I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know her and knowing a bit about her. And like she taught us a bit as well, you know, about nutrition and sharing her ideas. So hopefully you learn something from her as well. So we hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Gayline podcast where we chat to Lauren Delaney. Welcome to the show. We're going to start straight away with our quick fire intro. So full name. Lauren Verona, Nikki Delaney. Ooh, very nice. Um, Birthplace? Uh, Dublin. Current location? Manchester. Profession? Uh, performance nutritionist and PhD candidate. Lovely. And uh, final quick for a question. If you weren't a rugby player, what would you have been? Um, I'd probably still be a basketball player. Um, and I'd like to think... Well, if senior uh, women's basketball was still going, maybe I'd be playing basketball for Ireland, maybe. Alas, the rugby uh, world robbed you away. I know from, they did. <laughs> from that. Awesome. It's so great to have you um, with us on the game line, Lauren. Um, yeah, we're going to chat a little bit about what you do, like what you said there about your profession. Like that's going to be, you know, that's interesting and relevant to what we talk about and stuff. So... Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here and, and chat to you guys. Yes. So shall we start with your, as we are a rugby podcast, um, your rugby journey, Lauren. Um, and you did come into rugby quite at quite a later late age, didn't you? And can you tell us, it's a very interesting story about how it all kind of happened. So what is, yeah, what's your rugby journey so far? Yeah, so I only started playing rugby when I was about 25. <clears throat> so I moved over to England about eight and a bit years ago and um, to do my master's. And then after a few years, I moved. I was still playing basketball basically for 15 years. And I moved to a new place called Milton Keynes and there was nowhere to play basketball there. I had gone for a new job and um, I met with just one of the girls in work and the two of us basically wanted to try new sport, wanted to make friends in the area. And then two of us were kind of interested in a bit of rugby and there was a local rugby team. So we both just went down um, together, really enjoyed it, like absolutely loved it. Um, and I kind of went from there. And um, so I played with Bletchley Ladies Rugby Club for um, <clears throat> about two years. And then I moved up to Manchester to um, work with British Cycling with a new job. And the closest rugby team there was Waterloo Ladies, um, who were playing in the Championship 1 at the time. So I joined them, which was like three steps above where I was playing. Um, and then over the course of probably two or three years, um, we then developed, we got into the Premiership. And then at the same time as that, I went to a talent ID day for um, the Irish Exiles or the I Irish Qualified System. Um, and the women's head rugby coach, Adam Griggs, was there. And from that one day of training, um, I got invited into the 2018 Autumn International squad 
um, and have been part of the, the squad ever since. So then since that one, Waterloo sadly got um, uh, didn't retain their place in the premiership. Um, I'm now playing for Sale Sharks in Manchester as well. So, yes, I've only actually been playing for, I think this is my sixth season playing rugby. Um, and yeah, 15 years playing basketball. So I'm still learning so much about it, um, but really enjoying it. You're not the first um, basketball basketballer to come into rugby. Um, so like, it's obviously just yeah. such a, you know, a really good sport to transition in from. Probably another reason why I did actually say, right, now, actually I do want to give rugby a go, was I had heard of the Lindsay Peets transferring across. I'd heard mm-hmm. of your Aoife McDermott. I'd heard of like, a few other girls from basketball who had transitioned over to playing rugby and done really well and really enjoyed it. And, you know, those transferable skills, apart from the contact, there's loads of transferable ones. So I almost thought to myself, you know, look, if if they can all do it and they're doing well, you know, why not give it a go? And there's obviously a lot... more of a platform to develop and progress on because at the time there was no senior women's basketball teams and I almost felt like I'd probably gone gone too far away from from that route Mm. um but yeah you know so um Lauren tell us what a talent ID day looks like (laughs) or felt like because there might be some young aspiring rugby players out there um who who are interested in taking the same route or just interested in, in in what that consisted of so what was it like yeah, so I had actually been to one, um, phew, I'd say maybe four, uh, three or four years previously. And basically, I think Irish IQ rugby, um, they're over here in England and they're trying to look for, for any um, players over here that are qualified to play for Ireland and see if they can um, channel them into the Irish system. And essentially, I think a good few years ago, they sent out an email to all the rugby clubs in England and said, look, if anyone Irish qualified, they can come to a training session. I think it was down in London. And I went to that one. Um, and I actually, from that, went into a, a camp with um, the Irish sevens team. And it was only for one weekend. And it was basically, I'd never played sevens before. And I went straight into playing against like the Netherlands or something in a tournament. Oh God, I was awful. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. But so I'd been to that one. And then the second time round was because they knew of me in the system. They were doing, I think, three cramps around the country. And essentially, um, anyone who's qualified can come. You do two training sessions in the day. They're hosted by either um, a, a range of different coaches. So it was the, the England-based coaches in the first ID day that I was there. But really, luckily, I think on that, on that second camp that I went to, Adam Griggs was there. Um, who's the head coach and kind of they're they're just it's loads of different training sessions there's a massive mix of girls there's girls who had never really played much rugby to those like I was playing premiership at the time so there was a real big range loads of different drills to to see how you get on to see how you interact with people um to test those core skills but also those those team skills um and yeah, just got on really well. I remember at the end, though, I thought, OK, I think I've done OK. We'll see how we go. And then Grigsby called me across and he was like, right, you haven't really caught any high balls as a fullback. I need to test you. So I was like, oh, God. So he throws up some absolute bullets in the air, like brutal ones. Luckily, I think I 
catch everyone, maybe bar one, like 10 of them back to back. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, don't drop oh any of them. This is my chance. I Brutal. never knew anyway. that. I spot you on the spot yeah. like that. Oh, I, I know, I know. Well but done. As a fullback, you know, that's one of those core yeah. skills. But I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> do you know what I remember? I don't know, did you find this from those? Um, It wasn't called IQ Rugby when I moved to England first. It was called Exiles. So it was like an exile team. And, um, mm. you know, you were Irish and I'm Irish. There, there weren't that many, like, actually born and bred in Ireland girls at those mm. days when I was there. It was like girls with an Irish parent or an Irish grandparent or something. And what I found is, and as you find the same thing, everyone was kind of trying to, like, out-Irish one another. <laughs> People were like, oh, you fucking Egypt. And, like, <laughs> well, I've got 16 cousins in Galway and four in Dublin and three. And I've, I spent every summer there since I was small. Every summer. You know, like, everyone was like... I'm more Irish than you kind of like this battle to be more Irish and I, I thought it was hilarious like um, I really enjoyed it actually it was so funny I know yeah. and then I was just like yeah I'm from Dublin <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and they're all like oh but no it was a real one <laughs> yeah but then it was funny because when I actually came into the camp um for the first Irish camp everyone just thought I was English and then I have to kept going around to people being like no I'm actually I'm actually from here I'm from Dublin yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah, yeah, I found that really funny. Speaks Dublin accent is very good. <laughs> <laughs> so funny because then um, I remember for the first game, Leah messaging me being like, don't forget, you need to know the Irish anthem. And I was like, I went to an Irish speaking secondary school. That anthem was drilled into me. I know it very well. And she was like, oh, grand. <laughs> what? She thought you didn't know the anthem. <laughs> yeah, she, and I think she sent me a link to like, to the words to it and everything. And I was like, don't worry, don't worry. I, I've got it down. Thanks, thanks Leah. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, so shall we talk about nutrition? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so, Lauren, do you ever have a day off? Because I can imagine as a nutritionist, it's difficult to like never, you know, to like almost let yourself go sometimes when you want to eat what you want to eat, when you have a rest day, um, when you have a, I don't know, a day where you just want to slob out. Do you ever manage to do that? Or is it always, you know, you've got your all your expertise in the back of your head, like, oh, if I eat this, that's so many grams of fat. Or do you, you know, do you ever give yourself the day off? Um, I think I think with most nutritionists, and we actually chat about this quite a lot as groups of nutritionists, and um, we've probably got the best balance. So I'd probably never see myself as being on or off in terms of like what I'm eating. I'm almost like, I think I've just got a really good balance. Mm. I think the majority of the time I do eat well, but I really enjoy eating well. I really enjoy cooking and I really enjoy like good quality food. And um, But if I want to have a piece of chocolate, I'll have a piece of chocolate. And I almost, I never kind of feel guilty and whatnot. That's another story if I'm hungover. Like that's just another <laughs> box that we won't go down. But um, but yeah, I think it, it's, I think that's probably what I always try and push for most athletes to have that, that balance that nothing's good, nothing's bad. You're not kind of on or off the wagon. You just have a good relationship with food. Um, and I think like we always talk about nutrition, like the 80, 20 rule, if 80% of the time you're eating really well, it's absolutely fine to have a treat or whatever you want 20% of the time. And um, I think as long as you've got that balance, like for me, I don't count calories. I don't count like any of the detail of my meals in the background. I probably have a good idea of what I'm eating and I'm ticking boxes, but 
um yeah I probably just have a good relationship with food on the whole do you find it changes then like how much do you find it changes when we go into a tournament as big as six nations do you find um you're just you have to kind of be more conscious to get in more carbs or more protein or like do you find there's any I just think with six nations particular being so tough um do you find that Mm -hmm. you're very conscious of what you're eating around that competition time yeah definitely I mean so mentioning there 80 20 I mean around competition and in camps you're probably more looking like you're 90 10 you're 95 5 that the majority of the time you're eating what you should be eating for your goals for your carb loading days for training sessions and things like that absolutely and I think I'm probably even more conscious of right am I eating enough do I need to be eating more as opposed to maybe day to day I'm probably trying to manipulate my week um depending on what training where normally in camp it's just eat 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 to you know like every point of the day it's like when's the next meal or when's the next snack especially <laughs> on a match weekend oh god you yeah, just absolutely eating how do you find that like as a nutritionist oh i love it i really enjoy <laughs> it and i think as part of that and like being part of the group like i i really enjoy being part of those conversations from two sides one because it's cool and fun and I love food but the other side from a nutrition perspective and and the route I'm going down with my PhD is all around like um what are the dietary behaviors in rugby and what are the um what are the kind of challenges people have to eating well and what are the 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 enablers to eating well so I love hearing those conversations Mm -hmm. and they're the best ones that you get in um in sport environments are at the dinner table and those little kind of nuggets of information are are ace so I almost have two heads on my shoulders when I'm when I'm like in camp and stuff but um no but I love food and I love carb loading days in the lead into the game so it's always good yeah that is the best thing about playing rugby is like when it comes yeah. to like the end of the week you're preparing for the game you're like I can eat pretty much yeah. although it's healthy like kind of whatever I want like big <laughs> bowl of spaghetti or potatoes or whatever um but Rice I pudding. always yeah I always struggle with the pre-match meal yeah with nerves yeah that's... yeah the nerves but also it's a really strange meal because it depends what time you're kicking off like if you have a one o'clock kickoff we have to get up at like seven so we can have our breakfast early and that has to be you know quite carby as well and then when it gets to the the pre-match meal they know like the hotel knows and like the hotel in Dublin looks after us so well um Mm. they know that everyone's really kind of picky and a bit off for the pre-match meal so there's like a spread like there's cereal pancakes chicken spaghetti rice pudding like a bit of everything Everything. and you just see these plates coming down and people have like rice pudding and chicken and like and it's just and and like it's so that's that's what I'd be doing because I'm like I don't know what I want I don't want to eat anything but I know I have to eat something um because like if you think about it if you're gonna kick off at one you're not gonna eat again till like five or whatever if not later so you like need you know, you need so much energy and then you have to take the beetroot shot. <laughs> yes, tell us about I knew you. <laughs> I knew you'd bring up the beetroot shot. <laughs> I've, oh, learned, I've learned to live in love, I have, I must say, but it's not easy. 
Lauren, what is the benefit of a beetroot shot? Because I, I got given them before I did a half marathon. Someone just thrust them into my hand and treat them. And they weren't great. I didn't taste wise. Oh, great. But they do do good things, don't they? They do. Absolutely. So like there, there's a few different kind of remits of, of research. The the biggest amount of research with beet, your beetroot shot or, or um, yeah, beetroot juice in general is around your um, kind of oxygen kinetics, which is essentially how you get oxygen to the muscle, how um, beetroot juice can almost dilate your blood vessel, vessels, make you more efficient at bringing oxygen to the muscle to then produce energy. So essentially at any point when you're when you're working um, at sub-maximal levels, um, you can be more efficient at um, doing certain work by taking beetroot juice, which is essentially has a, a compound in it called nitrates. There's another span of research that's now moving into the likes of, of your sprinting and, and your strength performance, where it can um, improve elements around that. Um, there's a final element around beetroot juice, but it's all around the concentrated vegetable shot full of antioxidants, full of like vitamins, minerals, nutrients that are really good in terms of that recovery element and, and muscle damage after training as well. So there's multiple elements and, and probably the most research is in intermittent team based sports where you're sprinting and you're stopping, you're recovering and then you're sprinting again and you're constantly stopping and starting. So you have to be you that aerobic kind of energy base and um, you've got to be really kind of efficient at, at using energy. So there's loads of research behind it, but unfortunately it tastes horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> really does taste awful well like the, there's a lot more products out at the minute and there's more options that you can go down that don't taste as bad but um yeah if if you don't like the taste of beetroot to be honest I love actually beetroot but I still really struggle with concentrated beetroot chop concentrated and then everyone everyone looks like a vampire yeah. because all their teeth are all red and then your pee the next day is also bright red oh. and you're like oh my god you think that you're like internally bleeding after a big tackle in the game you're like oh no it, it was the beetroot yeah it was the beetroot what do you put on your plate for pre-match meal generally it kind of depends at what time during the day so mm -hmm. if do you know because when you were mentioning there about rice pudding and chicken and pasta but porridge and everything like sometimes that's at 10 o'clock in the day and I just can't handle it. Mm. If we've got a bit more time. Um, so if it's really dead early, I'd probably go for like rice pudding, pudding and pancakes. Like they're my absolute go to. If it's like later on in the day, um, I'd probably have more like, I'd, well, I probably have them anyway, but I probably have pasta and stuff as well. Um, and some like piece of chicken and whatnot. But um, yeah, if I've had like a decent breakfast and I just need a top up rice pudding, jam or honey, that's the go to. Yeah, it's funny. You, you remind me there about the pancake machine in, in, in the Talbot <laughs> in the hotel we stay in. The pancake machine, you just press a button and it, and it makes two pancakes, but it takes a little time. And there's like a little, <laughs> it's, you see it going like, and it squirts out the batter and then it goes along. And then it comes out the end. But like the thing would almost be going on fire when we get there because everyone's like pancakes, 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 pancakes. Everyone's like loves the pancakes. And like there's a big long queue and the machine is like, OK, like <laughs> like firing out the pancakes and it's under so much pressure. How, how big are the pancakes? Are they like little ones or the big ones that fill your plate? Big, yeah. Big American Ooh, style ones. Nice. OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what... Funny. 
Um, and so another nutrition question, uh, just before we move on to your other studies, Lauren, um, what mm-hmm. would you, um, Anna as well, what would you normally have or have, have on offer after a game, like a post-match meal? I guess that's you're looking to get your kind of recovery foods in then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can very much vary depending on what country we're in or, or what hotel. But normally, like, it's just a really decent, solid meal. Um, so you'll always have some kind of a balance, whether it's like your potatoes, rice, pasta, something like that. You'll have some kind of a chicken or beef kind of dish and then you'll have loads of vegetables. And normally it's like pile it all on the plate and, and eat as much as you can. Um, we'll probably have some kind of a recovery shake in the changing room because as Anna said, you might be playing at one, but by the time you actually come back in, review, get changed, ice baths, which we used to do, um, you know, shower, then go over to the stadium. There might be some talks or whatnot, and then you'll probably not be eating until four or five o'clock in the afternoon. So we'd normally have some kind of a, a quick recovery shake with some protein and, and carbs, and there'd always be like little mini sandwiches and stuff. I find that actually Ireland our um the, the clubhouse in in uh, uh Bective Rangers um they always do great uh a great spread for yeah. us in Ireland but it's very much like Lauren saying but there is a starter main course and dessert usually after you know a, a test game like around six nations and I find that it's very similar in Wales and very similar in Scotland, like really nice. But then in France and Italy, it's very much like food. Like Lauren, were you, did you play Italy two years ago? Yeah. Oh my God. In that Parma. Was that was the best like post-match meal slash meal I've ever had. Like it was a sad day, obviously for us, because we had lost those. You kind of had to just put that aside because... We were in Parma, which is like the, one of the food capitals of the world, food capital of Italy. And we went into this basement and there was all these like the walls were lined with all these um, like yeah. and then there was like it was unbelievable, like this like spread of like kind of Italian tapas or something like meatballs and cheeses, <clears throat> and things like that. And we all kind of helped ourselves and we were all like standing around just picking away. And it was amazing. And our liaison officer came over and he was like, don't eat too much. This is just the appetizer. And we were like, okay, okay. And then we went upstairs and it was really cool actually, because they had, um, you had to sit with your opposite number. So you were like surrounded by the opposite um, team, you know, the Italian girls like left and right and opposite you. So it was really nice mix. They mixed everyone up. And it was like, how many courses, Lauren? Like a five, six course Italian dinner. Wow. Unbelievable. Oh, so, so good. I mean, I was a bit struggling because I think the few girls around me didn't have any English. So we were just trying to be like, good, well, well played. You, yeah. <laughs> Who do you play? Do you know, we really struggled. Well, you heard Anna at the other side being like busy mates with everyone <laughs> after like 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because you were at the opposite table and we could see you were all very like quiet. But to be fair, yeah. the girls around us were, were they had good English as well. Good, good, good. Okay, and then um, Lauren, tell us about the other third of your life. You've got nutrition, rugby, and <laughs> and now you're doing your PhD, and it's to do with um, behavior change in nutrition. And you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. Can you tell us what that's all about and um, and how that's going? Yeah, yeah. So 
<clears throat> I started late last year um, and I'm doing my PhD with Leeds Beckett University and Leeds Rhinos. So I'm basically looking to explore kind of body composition and dietary behaviours in rugby league players. <clears throat> so basically looking at kind of body composition across the season and at what time points it potentially changes um, and also exploring how dietary behaviours in rugby players vary throughout the season and um, what what are the factors that influences why those dietary behaviours change and um, whether that's both positively and negatively so I mentioned earlier what enables players to eat better and um, and to to adapt and, and moderate their energy intake and what are the barriers I'm looking to explore it not so much from um from those gender perspectives but more around this I suppose using this model of behavior called the combi model so it's looking at in order for someone to um to do a behavior or to change a behavior they've got to have the capability to do it the opportunity to do it whether that's the environment or socially and they've got to have the motivation to to do that behavior as well and um, so I want to explore what are those key elements from from those three sections in rugby players that that influence that. OK, right, let's do tail joke bottle of coke. Um, so Lauren, explain this to you already. You're going to tell us either a rugby tale or a joke and you've got to make us laugh or else you send us a bottle of coke. OK, <laughs> OK, so I'm going to tell you guys. This is the joke that I kind of my my classic joke. Okay, here we um, go. <laughs> no one's told us a joke yet, by the way. It's been all stories. Oh, so no okay, pressure. pressure. Here I set the bar high. I've already told you this joke, Anna. Um, what do you call a nosy pepper? A nosy pepper. Jalapeno business. <laughs> oh God. Have you told me that before? You laughed, though. You laughed. <laughs> I enjoyed your oh, sass. That's the worst response I've had. <laughs> I enjoyed your sass more than the punchline itself. Sorry, but it, it, you you still entertained us, I must say. Um, well done. <laughs> the proper dad joke, you know, like yeah, classic yeah, dad yeah. joke. Oh, I love it. I love it. Lauren, it was so great to chat to you. Um, and yeah, it was I loved hearing about like, yeah, your your PhD line and like what you you know, why you taught me about the beetroot and stuff. Like that's gonna be really uh, I'm gonna keep that in mind now for camp. But yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, cheers for having me. I enjoyed it. It was a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So this week for our Rhino Rugby Star of the Week, we had an entry from a couple of Cork girls who were down um, training away in the absence of uh, team training. I met these girls um, earlier this season um, in Highfield RFC in Cork and uh, the under 18 section sadly was being um, discontinued. So they were on the search for a new club and it seems that they have found their new, ho ho new home in Dolphin RFC in Cork. And I'm just so delighted for them. They're so happy with their new club and really, you know, delighted that they can keep their 
keep their rugby going and get involved with the new club. So I was just so happy to hear that um, Dolphin, you know, opened the, the their arms to, to welcome the girls from Highfield. And um, they've sent us in some videos of them doing some home training. And I was so happy to see that and see that they haven't, you know, fallen out with the game or fallen out of love with the game and just so we're able to find a new home. So super happy to see that the girls are continuing to train um so our rhino rugby star of the week is debbie and we'll be sending out some rhino rugby goodies to you keep your entries coming in for our rhino rugby star of the week competition we will read out new entries every week it can be a new skill that you mastered over lockdown it can be a funny picture it really can be anything so please do tag us in your posts at gainline podcast or you can email us at gainline podcast at gmail.com Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much to Lauren for coming on and giving such a great interview. Next week, we'll be joined by Abby Burton, who is an England Sevens player and has recently been selected in the initial GB Sevens training squad heading towards the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Um, Abby talks about her her love of the game of Sevens. She talks about how it was to be made redundant last year by the RFU. And she also talks about body positivity and body image. I hope you enjoy. Join in, follow us on Gameline Podcast, and we will chat to you very soon. Good luck. Thanks for listening.